Welcome once again to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And we're continuing on our discussion with uh, Greg Kokel's book, Tactics. And uh, we're uh, using the 10th anniversary edition. And the, the, the subject is a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. So um, as we've kind of made it more than the halfway point, uh, these are kind of the how to have the conversation with someone about uh, your faith. And so we've uh, looked at the Columbo tactic. We've looked at um, areas where the other side uh, commits uh, self-destruction. And we, we looked at uh, a bunch of those. And we've, we're continuing that on in Chapter 13, taking the roof off. And, of course, uh, we're covering one of our favorite subjects, presuppositionalism. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so this, this well, particular section, he, he labels finding the flaws. Yeah. So this is so we're hunting, for, hunting down the flaws in folks' argument and kind of exposing those right. is what we're doing. And so in order to do that, we have to know, you know, what they are. And mm-hmm. so he gives us names for some of these flaws. Right, <laughs> right. So, again, we're having a discussion. Uh, we're letting uh, them speak for themselves. Uh, we're just continuing on in a dialogue is what we want. We have we have our side uh, that that we, uh, our points that we want to get across, but we also want to hear them, and so that's what this this does. And so this isn't being disingenuous. This isn't um, defining terms in a weird way. Uh, <laughs> I've recently read a book, and probably in the future uh, of when this episode is occurring, um, a, a video or, or so might be made about that more. Um, and so and so uh, again. We're, we're going through these tactics on how to have a conversation. And, of course, we, we always like the making the point of if the other side gets angry, you lose. Right. And so this is to help in that dialogue, a two-way conversation, the dialogos, two people having a word mm-hmm. with each other. <laughs> and so um, th- these tools are, are here to be uh, genuine with the other person. And also um, it's not to say, ah, there's a flaw in your worldview. Burn it to the ground. That's You're right. wrong. I'm right. Trick them, track, yeah. track them, you know, right. trap them, and then stumble, make them stumble and right. fall, and then, you know, yeah, yeah. kick yeah. them to the ground. Right. <laughs> no, we're we, we Pick them back up. You, yeah. you want to give yeah. your side. You want to give <laughs> uh, the, 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 the biblical uh, uh, dis, uh, answer within the discussion. And uh, um, th- these are just um, areas where you can look at on how to have that conversation. So instead of just saying, you know, here's the 24 facts about the resurrection. Well, that's fine, but how does that actually work in a, in a genuine conversation? So that's that's what uh, Kokel's desire and goal here is, is in the book. So uh, uh, chapter 13, Taking the Roof Off, uh, we look at the fact that some points of view, if taken seriously, they don't actually commit self-destruction, but they work against themselves in different ways. And mm-hmm. so um, we, we talk about when, when played out, uh, consistently, they lead to this unusual and even absurd conclusions. Absurd being uh, the, the the key word here. Uh, so when we discuss worldviews, um, I think uh, Answers in Genesis and Dr. Jason Lyle have have a, a good word picture, and it's uh, kind of the worldviews are the glasses that you look at the world mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. So you know, if, if if you're looking at a flower as uh, a biologist, you might see. Um, you know, uh, this, this is how, uh, life continues on. This is how it grows. But if you're a florist, you might just see it as, well, uh, this color represents love. And so I'm going to put it in. And so it's, it's what framework are you, are you view, utilizing these? Right. If, if you're me, you're looking at it in terms of how can I not kill it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Is it still green? Is it growing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, so, um, he, he, he 
kind of likens uh, worldviews, uh, how we look at the world, the the kind of the what what we bring to the table first. Uh, those are presuppositions as maps, mm, and yeah. maps are these old wow. things yeah. back in the day before GPS. I guess <laughs> GPS is kind of like a map, but these these maps. So they're there's someone's idea of what the world looks like. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah. You, you you know, you lay it out in front of it. And um, how you get from Kalamazoo, Michigan, to Detroit, you might go up through Lansing. Or you might go down into Indiana and Ohio. I don't know why you would want to ever do that at, for any reason. But um, uh, how to get there, how, how, how to get to your your conclusion is, is what we're looking at here. Mm-hmm. So if you, you use the map but arrive at a strange destination... You're either, either that part of the map is inaccurate and wrong, or the map itself is wrong. It's the wrong one for what wherever you're trying to go to, mm-hmm. or the region that you're trying to get to. And so, uh, this this part, this taking the roof off, um, as we'll uh, dig deeper into it, is um, is showing the inaccuracy of the route or the map uh, in general. All right. And uh, so, how do we do that? You know, how do we show the inaccuracy of the map? What is What do we mean by taking the roof off? Well, he says uh, it's pretty simple, actually, and he gives us two or three steps here to help us to understand how this works, right? So first he says, in terms of taking the roof off, and again, what we're trying to do is just show to the person that their uh, particular map is not accurate, right? And it leads in the wrong direction. So the first thing we do is we adopt the other person's viewpoint for the sake of argument. Okay, if you believe this, let's assume that that's true, right? So we adopt their their viewpoint, right? And then secondly, he says, um, you know, we, we give his idea what he calls a test drive, right? So we adopt the view, and then we get into the, the car, as it were, and we begin to use the map to drive, right? right. Pilot to co-pilot. Right. And yeah. so, yeah, <laughs> and so we try to determine, he says, uh, you know, where we will end up if we faithfully follow the instructions, right? Where right. will we end up, right? right? So take a right at the McDonald's, take a left at the Speedway, <laughs> y- you'll get there. That's right, yeah, yeah the swamp or whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> And so he says, if we arrive at an odd destination, then, you know, we point this out and invite the person to reconsider their starting point. Right. So those are the three kind of ways to do this. You kind of adopt their, their viewpoint, you take it for a test drive, figure out where it leads you, and then if it's an odd destination, you know, then we then we point it out and and, and you know allow the person to to rethink their right. issue. Right. So you kind of say like, okay, uh, let me take your position. Uh, it would entail this. Is that correct? Um, and then you would say, doesn't it seem weird that you hold this position? Yeah. And and we have a discussion based on on that. Mm. So then he goes on to say that uh, sometimes when you press an idea to his logical uh, consequences, the result is counterintuitive or absurd. Mm. It's kind of where you don't really want to be. And yeah. so by pointing that out, you're, you're hopefully kind of uh, um, putting a mirror up to, to them and say, is this what you want to look like? Yeah. And so <laughs> you're, again, it's not, uh, this is absurd. You, you believe in a magic sky fairy. So is this what you mean? No, you're 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 presenting them with a legitimate question of, um, hey, uh, you 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 believe uh, that uh, uh, morality is is relative. Um, does that mean that? Uh, so let's take it for a drive. Yeah, right? let's take it for a drive. Morality is relative. Morality is relative. <laughs> Therefore, uh, I can go out and eat 
anybody that I want to. Right. Uh, right. It's it's good for me. I, I I view it as fine. It may not be good for me, but it's good for you. Right. And if yeah. morality is relative, what can I say? Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> You're the slower one. I'm the faster one. And so you present it to them and say, would you agree that if morality is relative, then there's nothing that you could really say that says that eating people is wrong. And so hopefully what they say is, well, I don't actually mean that. And so maybe we can find where an objective value is mm-hmm. in, in some things. So right. uh, sometimes you might want to say uh, if it does no harm to somebody else. And so you can have, again, a greater discussion on that. But hopefully just clarifying where they're coming from of what they mean when they hold this position. That's that's what we want to do. Here. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes when you, again, press the idea, it's either counterintuitive I don't really want to be eaten yeah. or it's absurd. I get to eat people then, right? <laughs> yeah. So we don't want to yeah. do that. Yeah. So this this kind of taking the roof off is uh, uh, we, uh, bring out the nice uh, Latin phrases from, from our uh, philosophy classes and it's uh, <laughs> reductio ad absurdum, or just right. reductio. Yeah. But it, what it means is it reduces a point to uh, it's absurd uh, conclusion or consequence. The absurdum right. there <laughs> so is the Latin. Reduced to absurdity yeah. is the idea. Yeah, yeah. Good. And so, um, uh, you know, so why does it work, right? Why does this particular uh, uh, approach work, right? Christians, well, this is why it works, and it's and it's real simple if you think about it, right? He says we have as Christians a powerful ally in the war of ideas. Oh, really? We got somebody on our side, yeah. Reality. <laughs> <laughs> he says whenever someone tries to deny the truth, reality ultimately betrays them, right? Kind of slaps them in the face, right? right? right. They run up against that brick wall if they try to deny that it's there, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Th- this right? again parallels Nancy Piercy's book where right. it says, you know, w- once it's taken out into the real world, can it can it survive there? Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, if, if you want to say that, um, you know, all truth is relative— including math, right. will take it out in the world and go drive your car. If right. math is relative, right. then hopefully the person that built your car yeah. doesn't believe that. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> the, or or, you, or you, the person that has your, you know, the banker. Yeah. Right? <laughs> numbers <laughs> so are just numbers. Yeah, they're just relative. Yeah. So you, you may think you have $100 in right. the bank, but it's really just one. Yeah. Right? Federal Reserve <laughs> idea. Yeah. yeah. If, if you're an astronaut going to, you know, the International Space Station, you better hope that truth is not relative exactly. and that math is actually true. <laughs> and and consistent within the scope of the entire universe, because once you get outside the Earth, then there's a different part of space. So, um, yeah, all, all, all this stuff, uh, um, you know, kind of works itself. And again, you're you also are coming into um, this conversation with a different understanding, the fact that God exists mm. and mm. that he orders the universe and that mm. we can have. Uh, confidence that uh, what's true for today will be true for tomorrow in certain fashions. Um, and that's the discussion that you're having. That That's the level that you're having. Right, on. right. Yeah. And, you know, every person then who rejects the truth of uh, God, you know, and his reality and his will and that sort of thing, that is, as Francis Schaeffer said, the God who is there, yeah. right? So everyone who, who rejects the truth of the God who is there, is he tells us caught between the way he says the world is and the way the world actually is, right? So that's really a belief is how I think the world is, right? And so we're caught here. And and this is kind of a, a dissidence, right? This this tension that we have, that we see here, right? And he says this is what makes taking the roof off so effective, mm-hmm. right? Because here we have the way that we think the world is and then the way the world actually is. And so... 
you know, there's a, that tension is what we want to raise to the surface yeah. and help them to see it. And again, in our last book, Nancy Piercy uh, t- termed this uh, double speak mm. in the sense that this 1984, you know, what, what you're saying is this, but in your own mind, you have to have a, a different viewpoint. So morality is relative, but I don't actually mean that because I'm, I, I view someone murdering somebody else as wrong. And I'm glad that the police caught them and threw them in jail to separate them from the rest of society because right. they need to be punished. Right. But I believe morality is relative. <laughs> and so it, Greg Hochul, uh, originally in this book too, at the kind of towards the beginning talked about how um, we, we kind of should expect people maybe to have not realized where they stood. Mm. And so they've, they've read the bumper sticker, you know, the bumper sticker theology. And again, this goes for Christians too. Sometimes, you know, you, you throw out a, a, a phrase there because it's short and Just pithy. Just because you've heard it. Yeah. It's, it's very yeah. pithy and, yeah. and, and yeah. You, you, you know, you're trying to get out of the conversation or, or whatever it might be, or you're just trying to win based off the fact that it rhymes. That, that's, right. that's a big one that if it rhymes, it, it has more truth. Uh, that's right. Dawkins, <laughs> Dawkins really likes a lot of those too. But um, uh, so, so um, this then uh, would um, kind of help that discussion in, in kind of clarifying, okay, this is what you said. Is, is this what, what you really mean is, is, is following that what are the implications? Yes, and so that's yes. what you're doing is pointing yeah, we, that out. We take, a, take it for a drive. Yeah. And the reason it fails is because it doesn't align with reality, right? Here's, here's, a, here's a way that uh, Coco puts it in his book. He says, any person who denies the truth of God's world lives in a contradiction. On the outside, he claims one thing, yet deep inside he believes something else because he cannot escape the truth that God has imprinted on his soul. Romans 119 is what he's getting at here. He says to protect himself from considering the consequences of this conflict, and here it is, right? Here's the roof. He subconsciously erects a defense, a deceptive cover, a roof. He is in denial. And of course, our job is to remove that roof, expose the fraud, and deprive him of his false sense of security. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's what we're doing, and that's why this idea of taking the roof off works. Right? Here is a person really suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, as Romans tells us. And what we attempt to do is graciously right, uh, take the roof off so that they can be exposed to the truth. Right. Right. And so if, if you've been in presuppositionalism, kind of Romans one is, is kind of, I think where we like to, to go to roost because this is uh, Paul's kind of uh, critique of, of the, the, the other side. Mm. Uh, he, he gets into our side too and, and makes us uncomfortable because, uh, uh, you know, uh, Romans two falls two. From, yeah. from Romans one. Uh, so in uh, verse 18 of chapter one, he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, including ourselves who by their own unrighteousness suppress the truth. Again, this is, it's an active pushing down. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, I was like standing on a, uh, a basketball in a pool. Right. You just, you have to keep it down. Yeah, or for great or for Coco here, it's uh, uh, putting a roof over your right, head. Right. right. Yeah. And so 19 <laughs> says for what can be known about God is plain to them because mm. God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Yeah, so, you know, somebody says, well, I don't have any evidence for God. Well, open your eyes and look around, right? right? That's what Paul is saying. It's all around you evidence for God, yeah. right? 
<clears throat> having things that are able to follow uh, after each other, you know, you, you, you do the same science experiment over and over and over again. What do you expect? Different mm-hmm. results in a, a world of unchanging, uh, expanding and contraction? Yeah. Yeah. Or <laughs> do you expect to kind of get the same results for the uh, pending, you know, you do the same experiment, you have the same instrumentation, you know, you, you're doing it on the same time of day, uh, you know, you're doing it in the same location, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, is that what you expect or do you expect truth to change based on your lab versus my lab? Mm. So yeah. obviously we do. Of course, we if that was the case, we'd never be able to know anything. Right. right? Yeah. Things were constantly changing because we wouldn't have any solid justification for our beliefs. Right. Because right. it could be this way today and in another way tomorrow. Right. 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 <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's always a problem in, in philosophy is, <laughs> is that. Um, so uh, from from there, uh, Kokold uh, goes into a lot of good examples, and so um, one of the examples he kind of pulls out from the uh, from the ether of uh, philosophy storytelling, and so the story is told of an atheist uh, professor. A uh, philosophy professor, of course, it's got to be a philosophy professor, <laughs> or <right>. Tony, <laughs> who performed a parlor trick and each time to convince his students that there is no God. And so he said, anyone who believes God is a fool. He said, if God existed, he couldn't stop this this piece of chalk. I don't have a piece of chalk. Then my phone would be a piece <laughs> of chalk. <laughs> From hitting the ground and breaking, such a simple task to prove he is God, and yet he cannot do it. Professor drops the chalk. I'm not going to drop my phone because it's more important than chalk. And he watches it shatters dramatically in the classroom, gasp and shock. <laughs> mm, okay, so then, what what do we do in this situation? Well, you know, if you if if you don't if you're auditing so the class, so that means that God doesn't exist, right? The chalk fell yeah. to the floor and shattered. He provided an experiment. He he's done that for 14 years. That's right. At the start of every class. Chalk shatters each time. And God doesn't exist right. because, you know, the chalk, does, he doesn't catch the chalk. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Might bounce off his foot one time, but that one doesn't count because he, he shifted his weight on accident. Uh, so what do we do? Apply the of the professor's logic in a test of your own existence. Mm. Tell mm. the onlookers that you will prove that you don't exist. Oh, oh nice. Yeah. All right. So we should already see the implications of you being contradictory <laughs> there, but we're 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 getting into his space. We're right. saying, all right, we're, we're taking his uh, his idea for a test drive, right? Right, That's really what we're, we're doing. We're testing right? his test. Yeah. <laughs> so have someone take a piece of chalk and hold it above your outstretched palm, right? Explain that if you really exist, you would be able to accomplish the simple task of catching the chalk. That makes sense, right? We're just replacing ourselves with God, as as any good atheist would want to do. (laughs) (laughs) When he drops the chalk, let it fall to the ground and shatter. Then announce, I guess this proves I don't exist. If you believe in me, you're a fool. (laughs) Or, I I don't believe in things that I can't see. Have you ever seen your own brain? Nope. Well, there you go, folks. (laughs) Professor doesn't believe in himself. So, so, again, what did we do? We, We... Took his position, we stated it, we took it for a test drive, and we saw where it wanted to go. We provided a simple task, and so w- what does this say? Well, he, he talks about how um, it it just means that all it's proven is God's not a monkey for you. He's not a magical genie. He's not there to, to, to be at your beck yeah, and call yeah, to, to yeah. do whatever you want. Right. And honestly, if, if God caught that piece of chalk every single time, first of all, do, do you think that the professor would believe that, or would it be explained away? You know, um, the, the, the idea of worldview is that you would come to these with, with pre- some ideas with pre-gone conclusions. Yeah. And so you could always explain it away. 
uh, you know, sometimes in the big atheist community, you have the debate and says, you know, if God wrote your name in the stars and said, you know, John Smith, believe in me and be saved. Well, you know, that's just mass hallucination or right. I could always be deceived. I could that's be right. hallucinating. I could, you know, I, yeah. I could be in a, so a virtual reality. Really, yeah, no matter what happens, right. you can explain right. away, right? Yeah, so yeah. you could always you always have those defeaters and it's just, you know, um, how how tight you want to hold on to them. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so, again, he tells us, uh, you know, the... Um, the step-by-step -step method then of doing this. We reduce the, uh, the person's point of view to its basic argument, right, or its basic assertion or principle or whatever, right? And he says this might take a moment of reflection in order for us to get this. And then we ask ourselves what the person's specific claim is, right? What is their specific claim? This helps us to get there. And so this is kind of the first step of the Columbo. Right, because mm -hmm. right? we're asking, what do you mean by that, right? And so once we do that, then secondly, we mentally give the idea a test drive to see where it leads. And then finally, if we find a problem, we point it out and invite the other person to consider the implications of their view and the absurd in that it leads to, right? We're sure that if she applies her view consistently, it will take her into a destination that seems unreasonable. Therefore, something about her original view needs to be modified. Right. And so that's the that's the basic idea of um, how it is. He gives uh, he gives several examples here, right? Um, uh, so let's let's look at one before we get to these to to. Uh, so there's several. Let's at least look at a couple. Mm -hmm. of these, all right. So here's one. He says. Um, um, there was, uh, oh, uh, Mother Teresa once appeared, uh, appealed to the governor of California uh, to stay the execution of a vicious double murderer, mm -hmm. Ooh, right? Don't kill him. She reasoned that since Jesus would forgive, the governor should forgive. Right? <laughs> so this is what Jesus says. This is what God's word says. And therefore, you know, you, sh you should follow this, right? right? Um, he tells us, though the intentions were good, the argument itself proves too much. As, it, uh, as our tactic uh, demonstrates. When applied consistently, this view becomes a reason to forego any punishment for any crime because one could always argue Jesus would forgive, right? Always. And so, yeah, and so we, we would never, we, we, he said we'd empty every prison, right? And that doesn't seem like what Jesus was talking mm -hmm. about here, right? So, so, what, so what do we do? How do we do this? What's the, what's the step process? Well, the first pro, uh, step is to reduce the, to its reduce the person's point to its basic argument. So what is that? Well, here's the claim. If Jesus would forgive capital criminals, then it's wrong to execute them. Right? That's the basic claim here. And now he says the second thing we do is take the roof off. Right? So he says, um, on this reasoning, it would be wrong for government to punish any criminal because one could always say Jesus would forgive. This seems absurd, especially when Scripture states that the purpose of government is to punish evildoers, not forgive them. Right? So now we have, you know, the Bible says we should forgive, but the Bible says the government should punish. Right? So individually, we should forgive, but it's the government's responsibility to punish evildoers, right. right? Right. So we've kind of taken the roof off, and we've seen that if we consistently follow this, we would empty the prisons. And, of course, again, that's not what Jesus wanted. Right. Therefore, even though Jesus might forgive murderers, that does not mean it's wrong for the government to punish them. 
Right. And kind of this conflating the idea of what forgiveness is. Yeah. And being forgiven of sin does not always mean being forgiven of the consequences of that sin. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, and being forgiven of sin doesn't mean that sin doesn't need to be punished. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, it just means that Jesus, as, as the Christian uh, gospel says, has paid the punishment for us. Right. But it still needed to be punished. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I like this one. Uh, some people think that the facts and knowledge undermine true faith. So, uh, you know, if, if you believe in faith uh, or if you have faith, then then um, the facts and knowledge don't mean anything to mm -hmm. you. So the reason goes like this. Hebrews 11, 6 says, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is believing things we cannot know. Faith and knowledge then are at opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> the more facts we have, the less room there is for faith. God is most pleased when we cling faithfully to our convic convictions in spite of overwhelming evidence against them. If this is your view of faith, then following this route will lead you into a spiritual dis. First of all, it's not what apologetics is. Right. Apologetics is giving reasons to believe, right. giving evidences not that you believe. Faith, right? right? Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's, that's our goal. That yeah. we, we're, we're, every, every believer is, is um, uh, committing themselves to give an answer, to give reasons yeah. why they believe. Second, if knowledge and faith are inversely proportional, that means as knowledge increases, faith decreases, then the more evidence we find against Christianity, the better. Yeah. Right? Our knowledge would <laughs> shrink Christians to, if we don't believe Christianity. Right? Our knowledge <laughs> would shrink to nothing, providing ample opportunity for an abundance of blind faith. Affirming something you knew to be false would be the greatest virtue if you took this view. That's right. God would be most pleased with those who had every reason to think the resurrection never happened, yet still believe. Why is this absurd? <laughs> well, this is not at all what Paul and anyone else <laughs> talks about in the New Testament. Mm. He says, uh, if, if Christ has not been raised, your faith also is in vain. Mm. And again, th there it's not your knowledge is in vain. It's yeah. not a it's not a replacement for knowledge. It's mm. a trust. It's a confidence. Yeah. Yeah. You are still in your sins. Then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ and this life only, we are all of men who should be most pitied. Yeah, that's in First Corinthians fifteen. Right. Yeah. So uh, where have we gone wrong? Well, the problem is with the premise. Mm. It's the defining of faith as believing things we cannot know. Mm. Boy, I, just, I wonder who that sounds like. <laughs> uh, this is not a biblical understanding of faith. It's not even a, a cogent understanding of faith a within common sense with, understanding with, of faith. in any dictionary yeah, they throw. Right. <laughs> it seems like it's one book that promotes this, but hey, you know, whatever. Faith and knowledge are not opposites in scripture. They are companions. The yes. opposite of faith is not fact, no. but unbelief. Mm. It's untrust. Yeah. The opposite of knowledge is not faith, but ignorance right. neither unbelief nor ignorance is a virtue in christianity we don't we don't uh go to church to to uh, close our eyes and stick our fingers in our ears and only hear uh just trust god just trust god just trust god yeah. we open up the scriptures we we see the what the um what the, the the theme what we're supposed to get out of it uh we're growing faithfully once we get out in, into the real world as in you know outside of the church walls uh you know we we encounter facts and evidence of how we relate to the world um you know how should i relate to the person who wants to cheat me at, in my business oh wow that that's that's a good question well you know let, let's scientifically view this then yeah. then we'll all be scientists right. well no uh, the, the, we're we have a faith. We have a trust in what God says to do is a good thing, and this is the best way to please Him. And you know, there are a lot of implications from this. So, um, you know, if, if someone comes up to you and says, "Well, 
why why did you go to church yesterday? Well, you're not you don't just go well because it makes me happy and uh, you know I'm 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 you know don't want to be stuck into a a classroom where I learn things about the real world. So I just want to um, kind of have this feeling of, about things and <laughs> and anything that comes into conflict with it. I I just believe it anyways. All right. All right. That's that's not what faith is. That's, that's not right. what knowledge is. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. Well, come, let us reason together. I wonder who said that. Yeah. Well, I think that was God. Yeah. yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it tells us to be mindful of, of uh, you know, uh, uh, improper philosophy and, and um, um, people that want to trick you with with bad argumentation. Well, that sounds like there is such thing as good argumentation. Yeah. We should yeah. want to do that. Good. So. Yeah. And he gives, you know, illustration after illustration. He says virtually every argument in favor of abortion could equally uh, justify killing newborns if pressed to its logical conclusion. Right. When someone justifies abortion by saying women have the right to choose, he says, use a version of taking off the roof called what he calls trotting out the toddler, right? <laughs> Ask if a woman should have the right to kill her one-year-old for the same reason. She has the right, right? to choose, right? <laughs> he says the logic of choice, privacy, personal body rights, endangers newborns, uh, not just the unborn. Right. right? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> the toddler could could grow up poor. We, yeah. don't, we don't want that, right? That's right. Kill him. <laughs> So the modified uh, pro-choice position is a, a politician's favorite abortion, mm. double dock. Uh-oh, uh-oh. So this is kind of 1984. A right? little bit, a little bit. <laughs> I'm personally against abortion, but I don't believe in forcing my views on others. Okay, well, uh, he, he gives us the story that uh, he was once having a conversation with a man. Of course it's a man. <laughs> how, how dare he have an opinion on these things? <laughs> Who offered this nonsense to me at a conference. And he says, I asked him the question I always pose when I encounter such a notion. Why are you personally against abortion? I'm personally against abortion. Yeah, well, I'm personally against abortion, but... Yeah, I don't want to force my... Right. Yeah. Well, he responds with uh, with the answer that I always get. I believe abortion kills a baby, but that's just my own personal view. Mm. Mm. Okay, well, what do we do with that? Well, his response is, well, let me see if I understand you correctly. I said, uh, you are convinced that abortion kills an innocent child, yet you think the law should allow women to do that to their own babies. Did I get that right? He objected to my wording, but when I asked him what part of his view I misunderstood, he was silent. I hadn't misunderstood because that's what his view was. Yeah. So his view was, uh, I don't, I, I believe that uh, uh, kill, killing a, a, a fetus, uh, an unborn child, is is murder. Uh, but I don't think that I have the right to tell anybody else. So yeah. if you believe that it's murder for your kids, what about the other person's? Yeah. Well, that, that's different. How is that different? Is not yours. Where, where's the misunderstanding? Mm-hmm. So the logic of the modified pro-choice position reduces to, I think it's wrong to kill my own children, but I don't think we should stop other people from killing theirs. So, you know, what's right for my house isn't always what, what's right for your house. So, uh, uh, so yeah. as long as I don't kill my kids, I shouldn't be in trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so um, taking the roof off works because humans are made in the image of God and must live in God's world. Right, that he created, he tells us. And uh, any person who denies this fact lives in tension between the way he says the world is and the way the world actually is. So to protect himself from this contradiction, uh, contradiction rather, mankind has erected a self-deception, right? a roof 
Right. <laughs> we talked and, about build, building it on a foundation, yeah. putting the walls up. Here's yeah. the roof. Yeah. This is the roof. Yeah, he shows himself from the logical implications of his belief. That's the roof. Or in, in Romans 1, words, he suppresses the truth in unrighteousness, right? And so with our tactic, what we do is we try to remove that roof uh, to uh, deprive the person, you know, of their false sense of security and then show them the truth. Right. right? That's yeah. what we're trying to do. Right. You want to show them what's, what's inside the building. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so again, uh, this isn't a, a tactic that you can just kind of go out and do. I mean, I think I finally got it about three years down the road of, <laughs> of learning about it. Um, and so, um, um, uh, uh, some good books, uh, that, uh, we've recommended, uh, like Nancy Piercy's Finding Truth is, is one of those of, of kind of how to, how to look at different worldviews and especially hers because she doesn't, she, she takes examples of worldview, but she kind of distills worldviews down to their kind of base assumptions, non-Christian worldviews. And so you're, you're able to answer pretty much any worldview that you come into to, to conflict with or interaction with. And then uh, Jason Lyle's um, Ultimate Proof for Creation, which does sound like kind of a creationism book, but um, it's really a discussion about worldview. And it's probably one of the best ones. If, if uh, you saw uh, our interview with uh, Dr. Jason Lyle, mm-hmm. uh, I, I praised up and down his book uh, initially because it was kind of one of the first books that we did, but also it was so good. It was, uh, you know, that primer for, um, kind of a hard concept and you can get into, to, um, to a, a deep, deep rabbit hole with, uh, Van Til and Craig Bonson and Francis Schaefer. And, and there's a few other uh, good ones. There's some good YouTube apologists out there on, um, utilizing the same tactics, uh, of, of presuppositional apologetics. And so, uh, not everyone likes it. You know, people have issues with it, but it's still, uh, uh a good tactic here that we can use um, that that has value. And uh, when we discuss uh, kind of uh, uh, worldviews and assumptions with um, Jay Warner Wallace, and uh, I made the joke about how uh, Frank Turk likes to steal from presuppositionalists when he steals from God, <laughs> or when he says other people steal from God with the moral claim, he says we all become presuppositionalism, presuppositionalists in the moral claim mm-hmm. because that's it's it's kind of the best position to take on it is is okay let's look at your worldview let's apply it and see if it can stand the, the test so um, uh, a, a very powerful tactic um, that uh, that uh, uh, Greg Kokola is providing here and one that again like the Colombo tactic like um, uh, looking at what uh, people's assumptions are and, and seeing if uh, if they self-destruct uh, something that you have to work at and something to reread, reread and uh, do other investigation on, or just keep watching our videos and um, <laughs> hopefully uh, it'll, it'll kind of click and, and, and provide a lot more. So again, you can always ask questions. Uh, um, clearly I'm, I'm, I'm up to the, to um, uh, graciously debating in the comments section. Uh, if, if you've seen a few of those, uh, so I um, um, would, uh, we would uh, entertain any uh, questions if, if you have them at this point or anything about the book. And, uh, of course, you can support us on uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash Cave to the Cross. And we appreciate those that uh, support us. And uh, we'll see you next time where we talk about those who uh, want to kind of uh, be less uh, disingenuous with mm-hmm. us in, in our conversation. Mm-hmm. So that's what we'll do next time. See you next time.